All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? Oh, my God, what's happening? It's me, Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. I'm still abroad. And today on the show, uh, I talked to Mandy Statmiller about her new book, Unwifeable. Uh, it's available wherever you get your books now. This was an interview that actually took place in the new garage. We're, we're, we're sort of into the new interviews. We've had a few. It's, it's happening. I just got to Dublin, and it was a whirlwind of food. I, I was, I'm, I've been here 10 minutes, it seems. I got here. Sarah and I got here a little early. Uh, we were swept into the restaurant by the guy in charge of the hotel where we're staying. He's the guest uh, services guy. He said he'll take care of our lunch. Uh, all I know is within the last, I don't know, I'd like to say 17 minutes, I believe I believe I ate a soft-shell crab, a Mediterranean salad, a piece of soda bread, a piece of Guinness bread with butter, slathered with butter, and then we had some tea. And then there was like a three-minute break, and then we got to the room, and there were scones in the room. So I had scones, clotted cream, a jam, and some other tea biscuit type of things that were sort of uh, uh, questionable because I didn't know what the fuck they were, but I didn't stop. I didn't stop me from eating them. One of them was some sort of rice ball, like a deep fried ball of rice pudding that you injected jam into when was when have you ever heard that so now i'm all jacked up on sugar and tea and shame what i missed on the menu was something called um duck fat roasties i don't know what that is do you but are you like me in that if you saw that on a menu duck fat roasties you'd probably order it even if you didn't fucking ask what it was I was very close to it, but I said, are they fries? And he said, no, they're potatoes roasted in duck fat. I'm like, okay, yes, I'll have some of those. And I think I ate probably the equivalent of six potatoes. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Yeah, I'm probably exaggerating, but you get the drift. I don't need to make this entire intro about food. But this has just been my last hour since I've got to Dublin. And, uh, and I'm incapacitated because I'm full of food. We're here for four days. I'm excited about it. There's things I want to do. There's more things I want to eat. I have a show tonight. There's still a few tickets available at Vicker Street. Um, not many tickets. So if you are in Dublin and you're hearing this, I believe you can still get tickets. Oh, my God. I ate too much. I, I, uh, Amsterdam, I wanted to tell you about it because it was, a, it was a, you know, it's. I love the city. It's a beautiful city. It's an old city, but it feels a little, a little, uh, a little seedy, which is not bad. The show was great. I, I had a great time with the people that came out. I chose I chose not to do sad Jew things. I did not go to Anne Frank's house. I did not go to the 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 Jew Museum, uh, the Jewish Museum. I did. I you know it was either do I want to be do I want to do the sad Jew stuff or do I want to go on a boat? So feeling guilty, I thought there was probably the possibility that um, that if I didn't do the sad Jew stuff, that I would feel guilty, and then I'd be a sad Jew on a boat, a pensive Jew maybe looking upward, you know, you know, just floating around Amsterdam's canals, sad you on a boat, which I discussed uh, in my Amsterdam show. There was a lot of uh, improvising. Uh, the guy who opened for me, this guy, Adam Fields, did a lovely job, and uh, he hooked me up with a guy who's actually a comic, uh, but also ha- owns a boat company business, this guy, Neil Robinson, and his partner, uh, Jesse Cohen. They, uh, they have uh, a boat business, those damn boat guys. That's the name of their boat business. D-A-M. Get it? Like Amsterdam. And he t- nice guys. 
they offered to take us out on the canals, just me and Sarah, and they drove us around. And it was fortunate that the pickup spot was right across from the Anne Frank's house. So I did see the house from the outside. But I, I did not. I Maybe is it, am I a bad Jew for not doing the sad Jew stuff? I, I, I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget. Never forget. I'm not forgetting. I'm not, I'm not trivializing. I just, I just didn't do it. We chose to walk around, take a boat ride. It was proactive. All right. I uh, see now, like now I feel, I don't know. Mandy Stepmiller is, uh, is on the show today. She is a writer. She's written for many things. She's written for New York Magazine, uh, Exo Jane. Um, oh, she's also known for her dating column in the New York Post called About Last Night. Now she's written a book, Unwifeable. And uh, she talks about me a little bit in it, and we talk about that. So that's compelling, isn't it? So this is me and Mandy Stepmiller uh, talking back in the uh, gay garage. I'm in Dublin. This is happening in the past across the ocean. Yeah, this is the half-done garage, not even half-done. This is like I'm just trying to make it sound right. But you're you're among the first few guests. Wow. In the new space. That's really really cool. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I the old one, you know, legend. Yeah, right. But this is uh, this is great because you're you're closer to. It's good to put your life above your yeah. legend. Yeah, is you it? Know? Yeah, don't you think? Well, I'm I'm having a, a weird time. I'm not. I'm not. I love this place, and I and I. But it is a big change, and it's weird. Uh, it's 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 been fine, yeah. but uh, yeah. And I I thought yeah, it, it is good. That's a good way to put it. Life yeah. above your legend. Life above your legend. Like, what am I going to stay in that garage for the rest of my life just because it's the place that the thing happened first? Right. Yeah. You you build the next part of of the story in a place that is better for you personally. So that seems like a theme. Yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> well, yeah. that's what you wrote your book about. Pretty much. Yeah. Like I read parts of it, but I don't want to. Like I didn't want to. Uh, like I, I, I'd rather. No, whatever you want to talk. Talk about. about the story then, because I'm trying to remember. You know, obviously, no one likes to get an email saying, "Here's a passage from a book uh, uh, about me where right. I fucked you." Right. And uh, I just want to make sure you're okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I mean, I, I said <laughs> that I would. I, I, I took certain people out because I didn't want to. I, I just don't want to be that person. Right. And I so just... So you took him out without even asking. You're just sort of like, I'm not going to do that to that person because they No, no, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, they, if, if they said, oh, right. I don't feel comfortable, right, right. then I... There, there was one... When I talked to Jonathan Ames, he... He... <laughs> he got prickly? <laughs> yeah. He weirded out? Yeah. And I mean, my feeling was that when... You are. I, I. I didn't. I didn't put him in a in a light where he did anything wrong. Right. I think the whole book was right. laughing at myself and making myself the yeah. asshole. Right. So tricky with memoir, though, isn't it? Yeah, it I, is. I, I did that, and I threw some people under the bus in a way. But oh, you I did. Didn't, okay. But I didn't think I did. You oh. know, like it was my dad. Right. You, you know, but like I thought, like, well, this is my side of the story, and I have a right to it. But. Uh, Boy, he was mad at me for years. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 My sister, uh, she disputed to the death certain things. And I took, oh, really? I took those things out. And 
I mean, it wasn't strange, right? How critical to the yeah. story, right? Yeah. It's weird how memories, you know, don't like you know someone else's perception of the same event is just like not the same. Yeah, well, I mean, and and that's why I tried to show everyone. The only person I didn't show was yeah. my ex husband, just because I I just felt like. Why that you don't want to engage with him, probably? Yeah, pretty much. And he's he's a he's a totally fine person, right? I mean, there's a reason you marry someone in the first place. Sure, but yeah, I just I didn't want to get into all of that because some people have the ability, and I mean, and he probably still will, where you can write an email to someone and it just eviscerates you to at your cellular level, right? Yeah, it's weird. Like I, well, I mean, my point was like I'm not, you know, I, I, when you sent me that and I read it and you said there's an option where, you know, I don't mention your name, but then I read it. I'm like, no, you know, like if, if that that if that's not bad. It's, that's what happened. Why am I going to be a dick about it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's very, that's very, that's very cool of you. And I, and I, it makes me respect people who tend to open up about their own lives yeah. when they aren't just super intensely control freaky about always controlling the narrative sure. no matter what. I, I was just trying to put it together. I mean, like, <laughs> I know this is an awkward start. It's not really awkward, but it, it was on my mind. But I know that this book is about, you know, sort of your journey from divorce through this fucking booze festival that you had of self-hate and fun. Yeah. And, and then onward of, into recovery and into a good relationship. Yeah, kind of, kind of... um feral whore yeah Be- stops being feral whore i was trying to remember how it all happened like did, did did you interview me and then ask me to be in your in the pilot thing right so, i don't remember what happened i know did you write it in the book i read it i read no, it no i didn't include all the things i had to cut yeah, yeah, yeah. thousands and thousands of words so i i I, mean, I knew you knew my friends i had like i didn't i didn't know you but yeah. I don't know how. Well, I mean, I can tell you exactly because I think it's an interesting example of how people can uh, meet yeah. people that they admire, right. which is, I'll just go through it really quickly. That's all right. We have time. I'm in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in Chicago and I'm in a PR job and during the day, all I do is watch comedy online yeah. while yeah. I'm while I'm writing. This is before you moved to New York. Before I moved to yeah, New York yeah. and one of the you and Taylor Negron are the only two people who when I saw them I then looked them up immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think I was watching something of you on Conan. Yeah. And so I joined the email list. My email list? Your email yeah. list. And then you know, cut to years later when I'm at the New York Post and I get your email saying you're doing some something with Janine Garofalo. Right. And I'm, you know, a huge Janine Garofalo fan. And so I asked the Post if I could shoot some video of you guys. Yeah. And I went and I did that and they put up a little New York Post video. And then I was working on a story about stalking exes of exes. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, seeing oh, who... Oh, oh, who they're fucking? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so I quoted you... That joke, yeah. For that piece. <laughs> right. And then I was out 
in yeah. LA and I had a good meeting with HBO and we talked about doing, yeah, some kind of a show inspired by my life. And so I just was like, I've got to shoot something. Right. And yeah, I reached out to you to play the role of my boyfriend who I ended the relationship by fucking two Italian pilots that yeah. I met on the street. That's a true story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at dealing with emotions. I just I just suddenly everything uh, comes up and then I do something like that and I'm trying to be better about uh, that yeah, kind of so thing. You, so you emailed me? I think I called you and yeah. you were like, "Yeah, okay." Right, cuz I know, I mean I I think I think you were like this girl might be I don't know whatever what can it hurt well I remember I checked you out because you had you knew comics like you somehow yeah. were integrated in the community I know in the book now how you met everybody so we go to your house we shoot the thing where we it gets a little crazy in the shooting yeah because we got to make out right yeah because you're playing my boyfriend right and uh, the, the little student who was shooting it <laughs> she's like now slap her ass now, um, you know, yeah. I did, Give like, her the shocker. I mean, she didn't say that, but like it, it yeah. was just. It got real, no boundaries real quickly. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it was. Um, do you still have that tape? I do, yeah. <laughs> I do have the tape. I do have the tape. Yeah. How does it look? I mean, it's it's funny. Yeah. I, I my body definitely looks tighter. Um, I think you look the exact same. You know, it's a yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So that okay. So then we do that. We make out fake, and then we right. decide. Well, that felt good. Let's make out real. Right. And then you 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 were you came out to Queens. Yeah. I remember that was quite a trip, and you were a little drunk, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not you know. Not, I mean, not I mean, terrible. Just f- fun drunk. Right. And then we 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 had sex, and you told me to. This is a funny beat in the book, actually. Thanks. And I, I I wish I remembered it better. <laughs> but you told me to slap you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I did. Right. And then we had sex one more time. Right. And right. you were sober. Yeah. And then I slapped you again, and you're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought, yeah, I, I just, I, 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 I uh, <laughs> yeah, boy, is that ever uh, an illumination into drunk sex versus sober sex? You oh know? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not a slapper, really. No, and I'm not an ask me to. I, I think I just, I think I wanted to like show that, like, look how interesting I am. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and. Well, that I, that's, so. that seems to be sort of through the a through line of the book that you know the two you know what you know kind of unmasking yourself, right? Yeah, very much so. So, like, what what is the whole journey of it? Because I, I before we get into the the journey, to, are you sober now? You got sober? Yeah, yeah. I'm seven years. Yeah, seven years. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand ten. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a big life difference. It's everything. And, you know, I have to say, and I have asked to be, you know, uh, slapped in sex sober Recently. since sure. then. Well, I mean, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. no, no. But I was going to say it makes it uh, exciting. It yeah. makes it, I, I guess I just want to give a little like PSA advertisement for sobriety that, you know, the sex that you have. Oh, yeah, you can be you have very dirty is, in sobriety. <laughs> Yeah, because sure. you're so aware, it's almost like you yeah. are on a drug. Yeah, but that's a, that that can become a problem. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, right, with the whole if you sex replace it, thing. And yeah, 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 which is kind of what I did after initially. So when did you get sober? Like right after I saw you, like 2000 and what? 
Uh, yeah, June, June 2010. Wow. Yeah. So like you that so I got you right pre bottom. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, what I remember. But at least you weren't my bottom. No, no, always, no. Yeah. I, I wasn't. It couldn't have. It, it, not with two times. I'm I sure. Go. I'm sure that I am someone's bottom. You oh, know, yeah, probably. where I. I yeah. It, yeah. That's like, always just I such do? an interesting I, question. What did yeah. I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you can. You could probably. Though, if it really was that, eventually they'll reach out to make an amends of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I did those during the book because I had never done my fourth step, and uh-huh. I was just so consumed with resentment and just toxic when you got when you got sober pity well i mean sure when i got sober but also during the course of i wrote this book over you know the past year yeah and there was a time when i just was i was having to go through all these historical documents of emails and voice recordings and you, you kept know, everything videos. clearly. You had text. Yeah, that I yeah. I've always kind of had that yeah. uh, mindset. Yeah, and so I. What mindset's that? I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this shit. Well, I think the mindset that the one thing people have always responded uh, to me in terms of my writing, yeah, is when I write about my life, right? And so, evidence I think... of your life needs to be kept. <sighs> yeah, which is so narcissistic i don't know it's natural i mean you like a lot of times you want that stuff and you don't know where to find it you know it's weird how much you do have saved even if you don't know you have saved you know what i mean like there's texts where you thought you threw them away and you're like oh no i've got all this shit from a decade ago well and now sometimes if someone texts me something that pisses me off i just i delete the whole thread because it's like a living thing yeah in my phone right but then it's still there yeah, that's true. Like if you text them, like it all comes right back. Yeah, right. Yeah, you can never get rid of anything. It's kind of scary, but I guess it's good. But it's weird. Yeah, all that can, shit is out there. Yeah, you could unabomb on yourself and go <laughs> off the grid. People are doing it. Uh, but so, what you were filled with resentment while you were writing it? Uh, yeah, because I just felt like I j- I just felt like oh I never. This person doesn't understand the context of this. Oh, and, when you were reaching out to people, you mean? Uh, no, no. Even yeah. before, just when I was, so like, and I would give this advice to anyone who works in a corporate job. You can export your mailboxes, just find a tech person, because a lot of times you lose. Oh, right. When you, you change know, years jobs. Of, yeah, 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 exactly. And so that's how I had a lot of my post stuff is I had done that. And so if I'm, if I was looking through, um, just emails from someone who maybe had cultivated me to be their best friend because they thought I could help them in their career by a uh-huh. post placement or whatever, and then, uh, you know, change their attitude, whatever it was that caused resentment or, you know, just guys, whatever. I, I just, my mood, because, you know, so I, I got married to uh, Pat Dixon, who's a comic, and he, he was the one who suggested it when I was writing because it was interfering with our lives. I was just, you know, sitting there uh, crying or taking out my anger on him. And Going through this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when I did it, I just like in an hour, I wrote out uh, uh, 300 different resentments. Like wow. I, I was like, Jesus Christ. Got to unload that. You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it's weird how how much you carry inside yourself. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, an, it, like it just eats at you. It makes you all tight and fucked up in the head. It's well, hard. And, to... you, and you take it out on other people. 
That's what I do. I mean, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, because you can't take you can only take so much out on yourself before <laughs> before it drip you know just kind of flows over yeah give yourself a break ruin someone else's life yeah it's like you want to it's it's like you want to infect people yeah. with what you yeah. with what you feel you become a toxic human being right because you're not letting it go or you're not being honest with yourself or you're not yeah. you know processing it well i remember when uh, the one thing i do remember like and i wasn't even drunk but i remember that small your small apartment i remember hanging out with you but i do remember you were like hostily sexy like you were hostile. Like you know, there was like it's just not. A, it's not. A, I'm not. It, it's. Oh like, no, no. I mean, I. I it's like, a, a very, very cool uh, turn of phrase. You know. It's, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, you, like yeah. I remember you being like you know, like I knew you were angry. I don't know at what, but I like I felt like. Um, you know, I think we had fun, but there were moments where I'm like, oh, I, 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 "Is this enough?" I mean, what else can I do? Do I need to get right, right, right? Yeah, yeah like no, you're sort of I mean, using me to beat you up somehow. Right. Oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And, and, and I tried to, I mean, because I, I tried to make that clear in when I wrote about sexual encounters uh -huh. that were kind of sketchy or right. abusive, that it was a joint effort because, I mean, there are times when, I mean, I wrote about losing my virginity in the book and that was... You know, I, I, I wouldn't say I had a whole lot of culpability for that because I was, you know, I was 15 right. and I was what I was. I had never really drank, I got blackout drunk. But as an adult, I had been in the world and I wasn't being manipulated. I wasn't being right. um, taken advantage of a lot of times. It was, yeah, I wanted someone to... Uh, debase me because that's what my Pavlovian association was with sex. Right. And <laughs> were you able? You know, to, and you track that in the book? Like, I mean, where you grew up here? I grew up San in San Diego. Diego. Yeah. And and your what's the story down there? Are both your folks still down there? Yeah, they're both down there. And I have kind of a weird dysfunctional family. My dad is a blind Vietnam vet. Who Did he was, lose his eyes there? Uh, yeah, yeah, he lost, he lost his, uh, he lost his eyesight in Vietnam when he was 21 in 1968 and wow. has kind of like a, a, a rageaholic, uh, frontal lobe injury that leads to a lot of unpredictable behavior. And then my mom is severely, uh, depressed and has obsessive compulsive disorder, so, has a thing where she has to wash her hands. And right. Well, I guess the fact that he's blind and a rager is a is a little bit comforting, in the sense that you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, hilarious. You can sort of get out of the way if you need. <laughs> I just I always wanted my dad to just like me uh -huh. and approve of me, and I yeah I mean I think I definitely was just one of those. You know, I I think Wayne Fetterman has some joke about uh, having benefited a lot from uh, women's daddy issues uh -huh, and sure. wanting to go back and, you know, thank yeah. the fathers. Sure. And, yeah, I mean, that's obviously... I used to do a joke about that, about my business, a business card, resolving daddy issues since 1989. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But they don't get resolved. You know, that's not going to do it. Well, but, I, yeah. th I think that I have experiences in my family that are somewhat similar to yours and uh -huh. that I when when and I, and I feel like I've 
you know, like Pat has experiences too. I think this must be a commonality for a lot of people in entertainment uh-huh. is you don't ever get the great job, kid. Yeah. I'm really, really impressed. Right. Um, if anything, it starts to become a weird kind of sadistic mindfuck. Right. Sort of like, yeah, okay. You know, like there's a tone to it. Like, yeah. You know, or, or they pretend like they don't know what you did. Yeah. Or like it's not that important. Yeah. Or, yeah. or um, uh, yeah, my uh, sister's reaction was um, to my book advance. Well, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. Right. <laughs> And I, I was just like, you know, bravo, uh-huh. hats off. <laughs> I, I, I had a, I had a, a interview with Artie Lang that I was proud of recently. Yeah. And my dad has told me to always call him and tell him when I have something in the Daily Beast, uh-huh. so that he can then listen to it on his blind person reader or whatever. Right. And uh, so I did that as he asked me to. And uh, after that, he, uh, his reaction was. That took me a long time to read, and I and I and, and I and I tweeted that uh, back at the uh, New Yorker uh, TV writer, yeah. and uh, she said, you know, uh, bravo, excellent neg, Emily. Uh, yeah, exactly, Emily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which yeah. I I there there's something about just other people acknowledging that that is a dynamic and that you're not just a crazy person. Um, right. Because that can it's hard be helpful. To, yeah. Yeah. Because when you have that, when you grow up with that, you assume even good things that people say are somehow loaded. Like I, I can't take a compliment without thinking like, what, what do you, you right. know, like, so it is hard to tell, but those are pretty clear. Yeah. You, you know, when, <laughs> but, but with somebody who I have, a relationship with or I've decided doesn't like me or, or I decided is judging me. Well, even if they earnestly say, hey, that was great. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But but not as much anymore. I, do, I, do, I just have different levels for people and I restrict how I take in whatever they're saying so that I can kind of protect my heart and head. So it's like I have certain people who are in the sadistic frenemy but yet they're wildly intelligent yeah categories so right. keep them around right. but i know right. that they're always going to yeah be a little bit poisonous right and then you have the people who you know don't have some agenda right. and aren't playing games right and, and then can't i can't hurt you you have alan on meetings for the rest so. right yeah Can, you know keeping boundaries when you grow up with uh rage and weirdness is like that's and no boundaries it's horrendous it's horrendous. Like I, there are some people, like I'm pretty good with like hot, like angry people with the boundaries. Like I know when somebody's like, "No, nah, fuck, I don't need to deal with that at all." But needy people, that's a whole other different thing. Yeah, you know, they, ugh, they can crawl right under my fucking skin. Well, um, how how so? I mean, well, just like you know, some people are, are are very kind of like I can feel when somebody's sad and needy. Yeah, and and like I can't when if someone's just an asshole or a douchebag or some you know over you know compensating alpha dude but like i see him and i'm and we're around and they, they're friends kind of i have you know i can hold that boundary but if someone's just exuding like sad neediness lostness like i feel it like right. i like i feel it like oh god like i almost get mad at them but does that uh, do you tend to go for women like that i mean do you have no I, okay that's, that's what i was wondering is like no, what your experience I, are intimate experiences well yeah i mean when you, when you say it gets into your skin is it because 
because that person. It's my then, dad. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, he was I just see. always sort of like you know, yeah. sad. And like, yeah, I always say that my dad uh, gets kind of like a, a misery boner. Yeah. You know, like just cannot wait to say. And I mean, and he's had the heart. Like I always feel like I have to do a long qualification. Sure. People listen and they're just like, "What an asshole to be talking about in anything but uh, hero worshiping tour uh, terms." Yeah. This, this guy, but I mean, you don't know until you know. Right. Um, but, but yeah, just he, he, I mean, when I told him that I was getting married and I'm 39 and every conversation as a woman when you're in your 30s yeah. is, well, are you seeing it? it what's yeah. going to, is there any possibility? And so you kind of think this is a slam dunk. Thing. This is slam dunk <laughs> yeah, right, news. Right. Yeah. And yeah, my dad said, I just don't want to see you get hurt. Uh-huh. And I got so- By anybody but me. And I got- <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And, 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 and I got really upset. And then he just started screaming and saying, well, why don't you give me a script? I'm sick of being the family's asshole. And he got off the phone and then my mom- said, oh, you know, dad. You yeah. Know, and right. Oh, good codependent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> yeah. very much is. I mean, she is a fascinating woman. She is she is hilarious. She is one of the just driest, funniest uh, people I've ever met. And uh, she had me one time type up her essay for one of her continuing credits uh-huh. to be a teacher. Right. And she was having to study, I think, like microcosm and macrocosm microcosm and macrocosm in um, school teaching uh-huh. areas. Education. And in education, yeah. yeah. And so the line in there that was really revealing, she was writing about choices in her life. She started out by saying, I married a blind man so I would never have to be alone. She literally just wrote that. <laughs> And, and oh man! And I, w- I mean, you know, part of you kind of re- respects that self awareness, and then part of you is just and, and the she other- would always be needed. Yeah, she would always be needed. And the other interesting thing about my parents is they married. He she married him after he got back. Yeah, people love. Yeah, that is everyone is super interested in that. Yeah, yeah. She actually cut off a engagement to uh, a man who was super normal with both eyeballs and just you know an upstanding guy in uh, Washington State and she cut it off when she uh, met my dad because she got a winner this guy (laughs) he well I mean he is very charismatic and I and I will I will say there is something about that alpha war energy and the fact that he I mean he just he really shouldn't have survived it was 13 hours of surgery to get him the do you get shot in the head uh yeah he got shot twice in the face and um oh my god and yeah so there's something there's that kind of you know x factor i think about people like that yeah um was he a drinker too well so he didn't drink for a long time because he has a metal plate in his head <laughs> and classic. so the, the the classic metal plate Vietnam <laughs> vet in the head guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 by the way everyone in my family I feel like above else worships 
comedy uh-huh. and 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 funny. Right. And so that is the one thing I love about them. Yeah. Above, yeah, you know, because like it works. Everything for them. we're saying. They would enjoy. Good. You know, yeah. And it just that to me that's a very special thing. Yeah, definitely. So um it's it's a it's a pleasant way to avoid feelings. It's it, it, it actually that is yeah, that's something Pat has taught me, which is weird because yeah. I just I thought he was gonna be just another dick comic. And right. the fact that he had all these years of therapy and sobriety and didn't like little stupid jokes being made when you're in the middle of a real moment. Sure. It was like what? Right. What are you talking about? No, that's what we do to get past it. <laughs> yeah. Um, just bury it more with funniness. Yeah, but so my my dad um, was uh, adopted and he uh, was given up for adoption because his birth mother was an alcoholic cocktail waitress who had an affair with a married man. And then his adoptive parents were both alcoholics also. And this guy's a triple winner. Huh? Yeah, 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 and one, then so, two, and then Vietnam. So he got another uh, doctor. I don't know when it was, like ten years ago or something. And uh, he said, "No, you can drink, just not liquor." And so, yeah, my parents share like beer, like wine. Oh. They share wine. So no every hard night. liquor because he knew that would escalate quickly. Uh, yeah, I don't know what kind. Of, I don't know how the whiskey yeah. plus metal plate. Oh, it was equals. something like that. It, oh. well, I mean, that was the. But so yeah, so he he now very much enjoys wine and and that was another. I mean, that was another fight we had was when I when I went home to live with my parents in San Diego uh, when I was thirty six and when I when was that. So um, I'm 42 now, but that was uh, 2012, and I had I had come out here. I had met Scott Einzinger, who used to be um, like EP at Howard Stern, and he was yeah. a TV guy. And I had done my charming song and dance, and uh, he said, "Well, I'll fund you to leave the post and come out to LA, and you know we can uh, do a business together." And then I just we had a fight and he kind of yelled at me and I just said, well, fuck this shit. I'm going to go uh, live with my parents when I'm 36 and have $300 in the bank. Oh, so yeah. that, that's a big life turn. Yeah. Yeah. And you were sober. And I was sober. Yeah. And so, but in those, it was like my second year of sobriety and so I'm living with my parents, which I'm sure they were thrilled about um, whenever your 36 year old comes home and, has quit the New York Post and is just like, this is what I'm doing now, guys. Yeah, staying here in San Diego. Yeah, and they, um, but my dad, I felt like, just again, that, I mean, he would, he, he's really into his wine, yeah. so he would ask me to, like, pick out the bottle for the night. Yeah. And I would try to explain that. I'm not one of those people who is just like, you can't drink around me. In fact, like, I, you know. Right. But I just, yeah. But to me, I felt like oh, the lack would... of sensitivity sure. of even wondering right, that. Right, right, yeah, yeah, And yeah. then um, doing a toast to me and my sobriety. And yeah. I just, like, it just, sometimes it just feels like... No, he's a devil. Sadistic, yeah. yeah. No, there's no doubt that, like, you know, that that's his connection. That's how he en engages with you emotionally. But, but, I, but I love him, you know? It's <laughs> like I hate talking shit about him. <laughs> He's funny, and yeah. I love him, and he's great. It's well, just he's a very unique 
human being. Being very diplomatic, which is a nice word for uh, you know codependent and protective. But yeah, I just I can't I can't the idea of no you don't want to throw your dad under the bus. Well, and also I wouldn't be a writer if it wasn't for my dad. Well, that's what that's what I was going to say is that eventually you get to a point with these people where you realize their shortcomings and you're you know. Uh, you know enough about yourself to detach from the shitty ones and actually be able to say, all right, I'm not going to change that guy, right? Yeah. And that's just the way he is. Well, and that was something that I, like I never went to Al-Anon because I didn't think, you know, my, so like my dad, when he drinks, he actually, I like it. Like he's like, you know, a tiger under sedation, Uh you know, it's like, great, (laughs) do that, you know? And, um, (laughs) But when I called him, I think the first time I was trying to work on my fourth step and to talk to him about resentments, he said, do I want to hear what a shitty parent I was? No. And I just I was such a wreck when I went to my therapist. And that was when she really forced me to go to Al-Anon. And that's when I started kind of implementing the boundary of right. Detaching with love, but also, you know, go where it's warm. Don't go to the hardware store for milk and uh, not not trying to continuously close that that loop. Right. Of um, getting that uh, closure and that healing, because all you're doing is just continuously rewounding yourself and being like a hamster on a trauma wheel. Yeah. And you do that in all your relationships. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to figure the guy's got to have a pretty good chip on his shoulder for pretty good reasons. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when yeah. did you leave home? When did you, how many siblings do you have? I have uh, one older sister. That's it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does she do? Uh, she works in, uh, she's been very successful in retail all oh, yeah? her life. Yeah. Is she down there? Yeah. She's she's right around the San Diego area. Yeah. And, and, and so I was I was going to write my my book about the post or whatever. And then I got a call from Exo Jane and then I went back to New York. So that's how I got out of San so, Diego. Uh, how long were you, how long did you actually stay home? Two months. Oh, that's not bad. So no. it wasn't like you weren't like, well, you didn't dig in. No, you're like, let me get my old stuff out. Can I sleep in my old room kind of shit? No, no, it was it was really interesting, though, too. I feel like everyone who has a dysfunctional childhood should go back as an adult when they're sober and re-experience it and see all the things that you went through when you were a kid and how that must have affected you and how because I mean, I know it still very much affected me as an adult comes right back. Every, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I see, I see it all all the time, and it's like it's disturbing, really, because it, it it still affects you. Yeah. I mean, no matter how fucking sober you are, like I don't, I have very little patience for for the emotional dynamic I have with my parents for more than a couple of days, and it's not even that destructive. It's just sort of like, ugh. yeah, I, I I just I just want to like focus on like an interesting thing is is that. They adore Pat, you know, and and so I feel like if I can always have Pat there and he can just be pulling up Johnny Carson and Jack Benny and they can be talking about comedy and my dad can be giving his philosophies on why, you know, Richard Pryor and Robin Williams and, you know, then that is and that's that's all I want to do. Like, I don't want to. But my dad is really funny. Like he said at the end of the trip, when uh, Pat and I went out there, he said, um, well, this has been incredibly emotionally exhausting. Uh, Yeah. Pat said, 
that is so cool. I can't imagine my family saying that. Yeah. And, you know, those are the parts of my family that I love is that extreme honesty. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's good to have uh, someone you love to go there and kind of, you know, step in front of the bullets for you. Yeah. You kind of need a, a cushion. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. Even that. if you're not in a relationship, you should just yeah, audition yeah. someone yeah, yeah. for the role of familial cushion. Yeah. Visit my, you pay. So it's a service. Uh huh. You know, yeah. Be, be my, uh, yeah. Be, I did that with uh, women for years. Just like I, I, when I'd go to Florida, to uh, Thanksgiving or whatever, even if I wasn't with them for that long. I'd be right. like, come on. And they're this like, will be fun. Yeah, yeah. You can help meeting your family. And I'm like, yeah, don't just, <laughs> it's just, I just need somebody there to step in the in between when she sure. comes at me. It's like a distraction, like in yeah. war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, but when did you leave home to initially to go to New York? What was the big idea? Uh, well, so I went to Northwestern for journalism school, in Chicago. 93 to 97. And Chicago, so that was right? when I left. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, Evanston, a little north of uh, Chicago. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. There's a gig yeah. there. Yeah. In uh, Rogers Park. Yeah. There used to be a main stage theater. It's nice there. Right? Yeah, very much so, yeah. And then I kind of traveled all over working in different newspapers and then- Doing straight journalism stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah like definitely. where? Like what different papers? Like hometown shit? No. So part of Northwestern's program is something that they call either teaching newspaper or teaching magazine. Uh And so depending on what you want to go into or teaching TV, they place you actually at a newspaper. And so for one quarter, you work at that newspaper. So when the OJ trial happened and when the Northwestern Wildcats won the Rose Bowl and it was all historic in 95, I was down at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel, uh-huh. and I uh, was doing cops and all yeah. of those things. Did you like that? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, the thing about uh, newspaper people is that they're just like comedy people. They have incredibly dark senses of humor. Beat up. Yeah, it's just, uh, th- there's a certain, there's a certain seen it all, understand the big picture honesty, uh-huh. you know, and I kind of wrote about the post being that way is just the very dark, you know, well, I pitched that story and I felt another egg die, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, d- don't worry, uh, when I come back, you'll be spared, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I mean, just it's um, that for me is the entire comfort of life because it's filled with so much tragedy and i i just i think that is the most healing thing there is is really dark humor to uh be able to like instead of just be like a victim to it to be able to i don't know get some kind of like life force juice from well you you know you grew up with it i mean right yeah i mean i I mean being like you know from to be spend your whole life with a guy who, you know, went through what your dad did and then have to deal with, the, you know, the balance of of him having his own sort of issues and then how it's manifesting in the family. I mean, how are you and then the humor part of it, how are you were like designed for dark humor? Yeah. And, and, and I think the other thing about, you know, my dad was seeing how um, just completely phony and full of shit people are because you know, you would see someone who might be giving a speech about giving back to veterans mm. and then just not want to get anywhere near my dad because 
they didn't want to have to deal with fucking that, you yeah, know? Yeah. And the angry blind guy. Yeah. And seeing, you know, just people uh, staring at him yeah. and seeing people's reactions, I think, really informed a lot of my appreciation for authentic people uh, versus just you know, users and, and status climbers. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you talk about that uh, a lot, like just even in this conversation, like, I, I mean, I don't, I, I have a hard time identifying, but I, you know, users and status climbers a lot of times, cause I've never been in a position to where like I could be used, I guess. But I mean, you're it, kidding, right? Not really. I mean, even, even now, I mean, you have well, now, well, sure. I know when people want to do the podcast, okay, but, but, yeah. but, you know, I know also like, no, you're not going to do you, you know right, what I mean, right. but so there's no, yeah, I can't be duped by it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, but like I I I'm a, sort of a sucker sometimes. I don't always know when someone's being earnest or they're just ambitious. Right. Until like until after you know, I, it takes time. Yeah. I don't always know it right away. You got to have sex with them first. Oh, is and that then how? you no, just... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but like, how did you get the gig at the post, and why the post? I mean, did you like the post? I um so I I got it because the uh he's now the editor in chief of the post Stephen Lynch he had always liked my writing when I was a student at Northwestern and had kind of followed my career and so I were you doing uh what were you doing were you, how how did he see your writing well so I had the places I had worked up until the point where I left newspapers I had um you know, interned at the Village Voice, yeah. and I had gotten when, when it was a still very, a paper? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I worked for Leslie Saban, and I I got a very competitive internship right when I graduated working for the style section of the Washington Post, which was like, oh, she's got some buzz on her in journalism and feature writing, and then after that, I went to kind of like what's known as like a kind of stepping stone paper like I worked with Jeff Zeleny who then went on to become the Obama correspondent and now he's on TV all the time and uh, at, at the Des Moines Register in Iowa so I worked there for a year and I all that time I, I dated for like five years my college uh, sweetheart and I just was really unhappy at the newspaper I left it in I got Iowa. married yeah in Iowa and I took a job working in uh PR. I was I was writing for Northwestern Medical School's alumni magazine. Oh my god! And you were married. You didn't marry a college sweetheart. You, I did. Yeah, no, yeah. No. So I was with him ten years total. Five years married. Right. From when I was like twenty to thirty, and then so I started at a certain point. I was I was on a track to become a. Working at Northwestern, you get you know huge nope. college yeah. discounts, mm -hmm. and so I was like, "How can I use this?" So I did everything I needed to do, and I got into the master's program in education at Northwestern, and I was going to have like a safe, nice little life as an English teacher, married to this guy who didn't really like me very much, and <laughs> then the first course that I took yeah. was. Um, storytelling because I needed a public speaking requirement. Yeah. And I had this great teacher, Reeves Collins, and it was r right when 9-11 happened. And what I did was I I, uh, I wrote the story of my dad that I had tried to write for Gene Weingarten, who's kind of like a big deal editor at the Post. He discovered Dave Barry 
And he had been open to me writing about my dad for the Post. And I just, I couldn't do it when I was that age, when it was 1997. And I was an intern and I'm I'm interviewing my dad's trauma surgeon and asking him about where the bullets went in. And the right. surgeon is disgusted by me saying, well, your daughter's developed a very ghoulish interest in your injury, Jerry. And I'm just I'm just trying to fucking put it together and make it work and get the clip. And I just I just didn't do it. And I finally wrote that story for this uh, storytelling class. And it was the first time I had really written for myself and in a way that was more more myself in quite a while. And everyone was, you know, very just, oh, my God, you're an amazing writer. And getting that kind of feedback and and feeling how that felt, I suddenly just reevaluated that maybe my because I thought my life was over at 27. I thought I had, you know, had my shot and I was way too old and I couldn't ever do anything different. And it made me just think, what did I ever want to do? I had always said that I was going to write for Saturday Night Live and Vanity Fair. And, you know, but I never took any steps in that direction. I just didn't think you could take take that. Right. And so, yeah, then I just started taking screenwriting courses and I started taking classes at Second City and I started doing stand up and at open mics and develop friendships with, um, you know, comics on the chicka ha ha go boards or whatever and emailing with oh, yeah. Kyle Kinane yeah. and like you know the Chicago guys yeah yeah, yeah. and all I, because of a storytelling class yeah and, and did then you, did and, you have to read the story yeah I okay. did okay. yeah and I and from that I decided well I'm gonna just I'm gonna start writing again so I'm gonna create a blog but I was so embarrassed because I just thought that I had had all these legit credits and to be doing like a blog spot blog just what a confession of failure yeah you know i mean i'm sure like when you initially did the podcast i mean oh yeah like I didn't know. we didn't know anything exactly yeah. Yeah. and so so i did that and so uh yeah steve um basically saw the writing i had done on my on my blog and so talked to me about potentially you know, working at the post and it was very much um, a long shot. I mean, he had to really do a lot of convincing because I hadn't worked in newspapers in years, but they, they then hired me and it was like, I turned 30, I got divorced, I got the job at the post. And also something I started to say earlier, but I didn't finish was that my parents divorced each other um, uh, for for five years. Uh So when I was married, they were divorced that entire time, and my dad had two different fiancés. Right when I announced that I was getting divorced, they remarried each other. So it was a lot of changes and chaos. Did you finish the master's? No. I never yeah. took a single education course. <laughs> Not a single one. All I did was take... You took storytelling. That did it. That was enough. That did it. That really did it. And also, I think it just it happening... You know, right? I had to write the story of my life on September 11th to turn in the next day, and there's. It, it was just a a, a very intense uh, time for kind of you know questioning. Yeah. I mean, I just remember asking myself, "What did I ever want to do with my life?" And right. I and I had known. Uh, people at Northwestern who had gone on and been successful as comedy writers. And I thought, well, why couldn't I do that? Sure. And that was something I had never even 
just consider it. It was did like, you do any comedy writing? Did you do sketch and stuff when you were there? You- well, I mean, I just I mostly took um, I mostly took a ton of classes. I took you know I had, uh, Sharna Halpern at I/O and uh, Second City classes. I took acting classes, which taught me so much about writing. And I I did do some. You know, I I worked with a lot of kind of uh, people who didn't actually have any pull in the industry, but because I didn't know anything, I thought they did. So mm-hmm. I just did tons of free work. Yeah. On you know. Well, that's what you do. Pi- yeah. You until know. you kind of learn. Yeah. Yeah. The way the world it, it, works. I think it works better. I mean, free work's not terrible if you do the work. You know, I mean, it's not amounting to nothing. No, no, it's not. It's yeah. not. But I just. In my book, I try to give every single secret that I learned. I mean, I wish that I could have given even more because something that I've noticed is that people are very protective sometimes about crucial bits of information. Yeah. You know, like the fact that, I mean, I mean, it took years until an entertainment lawyer, um, Jamie Roberts, he's, he's the lawyer for Caroline's and that's how I met him. Uh, you know, I was just droning on and on to him about, I don't know, that I had met one of the real housewives and what was that going to do for my career? And I think I had a, a, an item coming up in page six and all these exciting things were happening. And, uh, you know, someone mentioned they were interested in me for reality TV. And he was like, Mandy, when people want to do a deal with you, you know. And... You know, it's very like embarrassing <laughs> to just be sitting there, you know, na- naked like an asshole, yeah. just having had everything pulled out. But it's such a gift. Yeah, it's such a gift because everything changes after that, and you're able to realize that if someone isn't able to, you know, give you a deal memo fairly initially, sure. that you know they're just full of, full of shit. Yeah, yeah they're just talking. <laughs> And there's no harm in that, but it's yeah not gonna lead anywhere. So you know, did you do you did you see it yourself at different times in your career as one of these people that was uh you know just painfully opportunistic? Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. You you cop to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, pretty. I, I I think that is a pretty crucial quality for anyone who is successful in media because um, the entire nature of it is to seize opportunities and that by nature a lot of times can lead to opportunism. But I do think that in my defense that I'm not like entirely, you know, just opportunistic no, wor- you can worm. Write. Sure, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can write, but also I think that I really developed a sense of putting the person before the story and working at the post and seeing, you know, what happened to me in stories that I did for them, like, you know, just writing a story, turning it in, and the headline initially had been confronting the ghosts of my past and then it comes out in the newspaper and um the headline is how i went from chill to psycho you know and just knowing what can happen at a tabloid or at any media you know when you agree to do it i started then telling people just so you know you know this 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 could happen because i don't want to 
I didn't want to, you know, set people up. Right. Um, and I didn't want to have that kind of on my conscience that I was um, throwing, sacrificing someone else's dignity for just you know some dumb clip yeah so well yeah i mean uh right because you didn't have control over it you, and then you no, gotta, you yeah. never do you never do i think that's something unique to what uh, journalism i guess or tabloid writing or whatever that the cutthroat nature of clickbait and in and, and presenting the story and then i imagine the concessions you have to make with your own uh principles has got to be uh, a pressure that's persistent always yeah, I mean, you. I, I mean, I was told by more than than one person when I would agonize about things related to feeling like I was, you know, hurting other people. Uh, you just, you just gotta, you know, not think about it. Huh. Uh, you just gotta not uh, just, you know, just uh, put it away somewhere. And when did that bite you in the ass? Uh, well, I think that it. I mean, I, I don't know that it ever really, I didn't ever really have anyone who, well, I mean, yeah, I had various people who were, you know, furious at me. Uh, and then a lot of times what would happen would be whatever had given uh, cause to their fury, some outrageous headline, they would then call me later and say, oh my God, I got all these TV bookers and producers <laughs> calling me. Yeah, yeah. Be, you know, um, but for, but just in terms of like how it felt, uh, f you know, for me starting to just feel gross, um, you know, the the story that I wrote about in in the book is um, when I was I was asked to do a takedown piece on Bethany Frankel, who I had encountered, and she's some one of those Real Housewives, and uh, she'd always been you know, nice to me, and yeah. uh, I certainly didn't have anything against her, and I just felt like there surely has to be someone else who can write this story, and I was told that, you know, I had to do it, and I will say, though, that um, she is someone who has a lot of enemies in the business, yeah. because whenever you are assigned to write, like, a takedown-type piece, yeah. and the word gets out... Yeah. And you get this this uh, influx of calls. Um, you start to see how many enemies uh, someone someone has. Sure. And when you stop being nice to people, when you're on the way, when you're on the way up, yeah, yeah. So, so you saw that in action. Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, and then I had uh, I had uh, told that story to Aaron Sorkin, and that became the genesis for like an episode of the newsroom and a uh, evil gossip character who. They had called Bad Mandy in the writer's room, but, you know, because uh, he wanted to make it clear that it wasn't me, uh, this, you know, character played by Hope Davis, who was just, uh, you know, just oozing easy sexuality and saying to um, the lead uh, Oberman-esque type character. Jeff Daniels? Jeff Daniels, yeah. Uh, you just passed up a sure thing. You know, and just watching that and just knowing, you know, that I was exactly like that. I mean, I don't think I would say you just passed up a sure thing, but. Uh, right, right. But that's yeah. Sorkin's kind of weird 1930s rhythmic writing. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Which I like. But so you got, but so 
But at that time, how how was that triangle? How did that sort of unfold? You, Sorkin, Olbermann? Yeah, so um, that was just like I kind of became... Uh, I, I kind of used sobriety like a like drug in a way where it was like I was so aware and so you know instead of like doing the steps and yeah. like being this more authentic person I just yeah I kind of the whole you know star fucking opportunism you know social climbing thing uh played out I, I, I would I would read these I would read 48 laws of power and the art of seduction by Robert Greene as opposed to the the big book and yeah, as opposed to the big book. I didn't drink, so I mean, I guess that's good. Yeah, sure. But I just I, you know, I wanted I wanted something that was like like thrilling and exciting. Yeah. And uh yeah, so I just I I I met uh, Sorkin and Olbermann and uh Lloyd Grove who's at the Daily Beast and I would just kind of like email them about, "Oh, and Olbermann's taking me out and uh, you know, and it was just really because that's one of the bits of advice is try to create love triangles, uh-huh. and uh, and it was just I mean, and w- the only one I really dated seriously, I dated Lloyd seriously for about a year. Um, Olbermann, I just went on a couple of dates with, and then Sorkin, you know, it was just like hookups and dates over you know a matter of years, but uh, it was it was it was something that was in my mind not in it's not like any of those guys were sweating each you know but that was uh that was to me the center of my exciting universe these were big big guys sure yeah because i mean i couldn't i couldn't be interesting on my own but if i could attach myself to a man who was then i could derive some sort of self-worth Sure, because you you the way that you get self worth is you you fuck it into yourself. That's what that I hear. Is, is this that's part what of the you, advice? That's what you learn in therapy. Yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just the proximity and the mm-hmm. but there is a power to it too, though. I mean, it's not. I mean, on some side, I could see it. You know, the the self esteem. You know, um, acting out and all that. But to have power over those dudes on some level it's, yeah yeah it's i mean you're not gonna win no of course not <laughs> but no but no you, you can make them do things yeah and and you i mean the other thing is is that i was never hot most of my life and when i got divorced i went from like a size 14 to a size six and i started dyeing my hair and wearing makeup and doing my so i kind of when i came to new york i kind of had the first uh experiences of being like a little bit of a piece of ass you know like 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 a seven maybe even you know and like um so that was trying to use that specific kind of power and thinking that that was something that was really important to capitalize on because it had a limited uh lifespan (laughs) you know now did you did any of the anyone else other than jonathan ames give you pushback about the names being in the book um yeah another person did just because um and i won't you know say his name because i didn't include it in the book but um just because it was about drugs and he said Uh, you know his mom really you know follows his his stuff so i uh um and then and then yeah another um another 
pretty famous uh, uh, comic I just took out entirely because I just don't. It's yeah. just not important, you right, know. Sure. I mean, if I would have had to take everyone out, that would have been that would have been okay. Sure. But I just felt like you don't do podcasts with people anonymizing them. Yeah. You don't, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and also a really big theme in my life has just been being, you know, the girl in high school who you invite over to help you with your homework and stay up all night laughing with. And then at the party with the popular kids, mm-hmm. you just don't yeah. see her. Yeah. And so I oh, think, so sad. I know it is so sad. <laughs> it is, it's yeah. very heartbreaking. And yeah. it's like that, that right there is like high school, you know, I mean, and, uh, and it is for like a lot of um, women who just don't have that uh, socialization training of like a kind mm. person to say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Right. They're all just going to be, you know. Yeah. They're gonna. T- no one's gonna turn out well. Trophy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. and so yeah. What I learned about the memoir thing, or even about talking, frankly or candidly here, yeah, you know, without in not in conversation, was a woman brought. This was a thing of advice that I got. Okay. Was that um, you know, when you do write your side of something, yeah, the other person doesn't have a voice in it. Right. You know, and that, like, that was one of those things that that stopped me from getting too personal about relationships I'm in Mm -hmm. here. Right. Because, like, you start talking or you write stuff and they they may want to rebuttal, but what are they going to do? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, when I, when I sent the portion to Olbermann, yeah. You know, he had, um, notes. He did have notes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I was happy to and in, in, incorporate. Um, I mean, and it wasn't like it wasn't like he told me to write something, not at all. But it was just a a clarification of like, you know, just something like a you know uh, a detail that right. I had you know not reported correctly because I because we just went on a couple of dates. How right. do I know? And you know, I would much prefer to nice of him to remember. <laughs> well, I mean, I I don't know if you've ever read uh, David Carr's Night of the Gun. I haven't. Um, so he's like one of the most famous. New no, York, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. okay, you know who he is. Yeah. And so he, in his memoir, he kind of sought out to do the anti um, James Frey, where right. he used all of his source material and he interviewed people. And so I tried to kind of keep that in mind and reaching out to people. Yeah. Yeah. So you, all the places that you worked that we would know, like the post and then you did um, what, XO Jane? Is that what that was? Right. Yeah. So I did uh, Jane. So Jane Pratt hired me and I worked there for 2012 to 2015. Kat Marnell had just quit. and, uh, And you were doing a dating column? Yeah, I mean, I was I was writing about you know my life, who In I New was York. hooking up with, yeah, and yeah, who I was, you know, good gig though. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, it it, it was just um, whenever you are mining your life uh, for content. That was cool because it sounded like content. <laughs> no, no, see, you still got a hearing problem, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, content. Um, yeah, so, no, con- no, I know. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I wrote about uh, things that were happening, but because it was such a 
commenter heavy environment yeah you were told kind of constantly you know not only like hey i think does does she have a lazy eye um or you know she's had so much botox Uh that you know i mean just things about your appearance which is one thing but then also just um long like 500 word uh, ruminations on why you would never find happiness because you're this type of person. And you're saying these were the comments. Comments, yeah. yeah. And some of them were, I mean, you know, really lovely, but it it is, um, it, it, that's a difficult thing to have coming in and have be, ha- have part of your job be that you're supposed to interact because how do you interact with that? Yeah. And, so I, I I I would say I do not recommend that model for anyone doing that type of writing, or that. No, type no, of- I think that type of writing is okay to a certain extent. Um, but I mean, I wrote a piece for New York Magazine that was uh, commissioned where they wanted me to reflect on the first person industrial complex. Meaning that's interesting. Yeah, meaning yeah. that because Jane Pratt is a genius, she changed. The game yeah. you now you now see big newspapers with headlines that are you know quote I slept with Donald Trump or sure. whatever yeah it would never have been that headline years ago it's that first person uh, writing that has changed it because people respond to it yeah and um, so this piece that I wrote unclear for, whether it's a good or bad thing really yeah I don't know I yeah. mean I think that sometimes it can be a good thing I think that sometimes it's I mean, I, I just, I honestly, all of the sexual life of politicians, that's something that has never really been my jam. You know, can, you know what's amazing is how many of them are utterly unfuckable. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like when I look at like some of these dudes, I'm yeah. like, who is fucking that guy? Right. And why? Like, well, and that's remember, gotta be part of their problem. I remember when I was uh, when I was dating the guy that I wrote about in the New York Post dating column I did for two years, and I called him Super Preppy. Yeah. And I remember one time I saw his bank account statement, and I gave him a blowjob, and I think it was like um, a, you know, the best blowjob I had given in my life up until that <laughs> point because I was just so I had never been around people who had that much money. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, which is, you know, disgusting on my part to say, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but I'm clearly not a gold digger because I didn't, um, <laughs> didn't you know, go that track. Tra- yeah. No, it's not that I didn't, it's not that I didn't uh, succeed. I mean, I've dated plenty yeah. of other wealthy guys yeah. where all I had to do was just pretend that they were remotely interesting and I could have locked that shit down. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I think... That's a soul death of sorts. But was sorts. the blowjob? Did it, it? It was it? Were you actually turned on by the amount? Or yeah, you, sure, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's good. and and I mean, I the reason that I kind of stopped being that way is because it just makes you feel morally bankrupt. Oh, you know, getting getting though. getting turned on by like a bank statement is the same thing as getting turned on by uh ecstasy because you're just rolling rolling on drugs yeah. you know i mean it's a similar kind of um dis- disconnect from like your true self yeah so after like what um tell me about the the sort of uh the catharsis the the denouement the change the bottom what happened well i mean i got i got sober 
because I just had one bad experience too many and I There was no topper. There was no Well, I mean I I, I met a guy who I, I had had eight days of sobriety and I went to a going away party for uh someone who was leaving page six. Yeah. And and I you know, I think I had that sobriety glow and uh, a cute young man approached me and was talking me up. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. I'm even meeting like cool guys in sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> Eight days. And yeah. then he said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he. Uh, a whole new world. He said, um, you know, I can tell you're you're different. Like uh-huh. you are, you're cool. I, I've, um, I, I've heard that there are these sex club parties and I've never met a girl who was uh, cool enough to go to one. Uh-huh. And I just kind of realized it was like the switch that it was just all because he immediately laser vision pointed me out uh, or saw me as, you know, the girl that you could uh, take to a sex club party. Uh-huh. And um, and then it kind of, you know, dropped again. Uh, and he said, you know, there's actually one tonight. And I said, you know, all right, you little shit, but, you know, get me a drink because I'm not going to go to a fucking orgy sober. And uh, and then I emailed everyone who I talked to about sobriety initially um, saying, I think it's great that people do it. But I just I just have these legendary nights that are just these epic experiences. And so I just, you know, I don't think that's for. For me, because this is, I mean, who has this happened to them, yeah. right? I, I know this moment. Yeah. 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 And then um, I also thought that guy genuinely liked me, which is so, you know. Demented. Demented. Yeah. Demented. Right. And I didn't hear from him for a while. And then Did you I, go to the club? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I ended up... Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was the best, you know. I mean, I was like um, a small crowd, you know, uh, gathered because I just immediately started, you know, games for every, you know, hey, why don't you um, go down on that girl, and then, you know, you were the 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 counselor. The camp counselor, the the <laughs> the, the, uh, the the master of ceremonies, conciliary. Yeah. Um, I I was I. I've always been like, I mean, I, I think I say this, that I said this drunkenly to the cab driver on the way to meet Jonathan Ames. I, I've i always been like ultimate slumber party girl where yeah. it's just like, let's play truth or dare. Let's play I never. Yeah. Let's do, let's make the, you know, most of this moment. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, so I started that game of uh, dare or dare, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, then I was dared to go down on uh, the girl and yeah. did it in just the right way where you are, uh, you know, like sticking your ass up in the air so that it looks as much like, like a porn scene as possible, yeah. Yeah. you know. And um, and then I got uh, dared to, you know. And a- anyway, so the there's like a Coke dealer who's watching the whole thing. And he's like, you know, complimenting the guy who 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 brought me saying that's you got the best girl right there, you know. Uh And uh, 
and no one was buying any Coke. And he said, I just, I'm going to give you a line because I just want to have it burned in my brain of you doing uh, Coke off that girl's big ass titties. So did that and um, went back to the guy's place, uh, fell in his bathtub, got a huge bruise on my knee. And um, then when he was fucking me, he was like, you are a whore, aren't you? And, you know, that dirty talk is fun when it's done where but there isn't a, a sense of... Um, it being an honest question? Sinister. Yeah, yeah. Where, 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 where it isn't like... <laughs> Where it isn't like um, you are just a worthless, disposable fucking set of holes. Yeah. And um, and he had been so kind of like, uh, you know, just uh, charming and how funny I was and all these yeah. things. And uh, so I, I hooked up with um, uh, another guy and it was doing you know coke and and getting fucked up and i was like about to have sex with him and i just was like i don't i don't want to you know i'm just doing this to blot out the fact that i feel so dumb that that other guy hasn't called me and the sex party guy the sex party guy yeah, yeah. that winner I know in my mind because he was like he was like yeah we can go on like a sexual heart of darkness journey together and I was just like yeah totally (laughs) yeah and um, so I reached out to again the same people who were a little less indulgent this time because I had given them now my big speech about why sobriety wasn't for me and uh, one of them said, you know, Mandy, you can keep calling me up every three weeks or you can change your life. And I, for some reason, that just really landed. And I realized that I had always thought that it was you go out and then depending upon the signs from the universe, you act accordingly. So if a guy is cute enough, if he's funny enough, if he is offering you um, a very unique opportunity, like a, a, a sex club <laughs> that you don't normally, you know, that that, okay, all signs point to. This is it. That, that you, you have to do yeah, this. My path. And, um, and so instead, yeah, I just, I went to meetings on my own. And then at like 22 days of sobriety, I heard from that dude again. And he asked me to go to another party. And I went with him and I, um, right when I arrived, um, I was, uh, brought an alcoholic drink that I didn't, didn't order. Um, and then on the way into the club, they were squirting, uh, vodka into people's mouths and I declined inside the club. They were also doing that. Um, I declined, um, he brought me a drink, I declined, and then, the fifth time was after the party, and of course nothing happened this time at the party. I just was like interviewing people and being like, and what do you do to the you know woman getting like fucked in the ass by another guy? And she's like, I'm a corporate lawyer. Mm. And uh, we're just decompressing after, and um, I ordered uh, a Pellegrino and I was brought a champagne. I just suddenly, my, my you know, uh, mental lies started kicking in that this was a sign and I remembered like I felt in my purse the little 24 hour coin yeah 
um, you know, that people had passed around and they had touched and that like all these people actually really cared about me and that this guy I was with like didn't care if I lived or died, you know, and I that for me was a very critical moment and I didn't have the drink like I, you know, I decided I didn't have to just be, you know, a passive participant where life was happening to me, I could actually make choices that I was going to decide that, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, that that's a big moment. It's a really big moment. Yeah. And it's, and it's a weird thing that, you know, it took me until 36 to, to, to have, because I, I've always been someone who, I mean, I got a, I got a paper route when I was, like 12 years old and this guy showed up at the house and just said, yeah, your daughter applied for a job. And my parents were like, what? You know, like I've always had it in certain respects, but I think that when it came to something like drugs and alcohol, because I was told so often, I mean, I remember one time talking about sobriety to a guy who worked in in newspapers, and he yeah. said, "There's nothing so unattractive as a woman who can't hold her liquor." And I just I, things like that I took as being like absolutes that this was off the table that I couldn't be that unfun drag yeah. that couldn't hang. Yeah, but you you're an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, yeah, and you know, learning that it, it, whether you're a drug addict or alcoholic, I mean, I mean, I was, I think, 35, 40, 50, I was 40, 35, 36. I, I mean, you know, what are you gonna do, right? You know, you're just lucky that you had that moment, it's yeah. Not, it's not an age thing, it's got you know, and you know, that it's it's got no bearing, it, it, no matter what you do with the rest of your life or however you know you define yourself, yeah, that fucking thing. You know, and then it opened up a whole door to all this other shit. Yeah, my life started getting so much better immediately. Yeah. Just all of these, everything started coming together, even though I was, you know, still fairly, like, rotten on the inside, because I didn't (laughs) do any of the work, and I just then tried to, you know, create new, like, addictions and, and, and dramas and so forth, but I... Yeah, it's like you have to, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. You have to sometimes be okay with that incremental epiphany type deal. And also, like, it's just weird that a lot of stuff sort of falls away. You know, it's easier to be on to yourself when you're sober. Like, you know, when you're acting out or you're doing other shit, whatever it is. And either you can accept it or you can't as long as you're not drinking. That's the tricky thing about, you know, that that when you have that sort of type of disposition, it's looking for other shit to, you know, jack you up. Like, you know, I was, when I got sober, I left my wife and went with the chick that that uh, got me sober. Right. I ended up marrying her. Right. It was a fucking disaster. It was just a fucking disaster. Because I didn't, it just, I put it all on her. It just, the shit that's happened sober, <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, you, you, you have to be, I think, okay with, whoever you're if if you if you get a partner i think that you're not going to be a good partner if you're not okay on your own yeah and if you are and if you are um use and i think that's how i used to look for partners was like oh this person will save me this person will give me an identity 
this person will Wait, consciously or just you look back on it and you think oh yeah I, I i look back yeah. i mean i never yeah i never knew i never that. i never realized that that was what was going on i know on. when people tell me where like if i talk about a relationship and people say this is what you were doing there's still part of me it's like no i don't no, i don't think that's what I, was doing. I, I will say that listening to the uh audio that i recorded sometimes accidentally yeah. and sometimes not of me drinking and hearing how fucking combative I get when I drink was so rough to listen to, but it was also so eye-opening. There, there was a tape from college where my roommate was asking me, um, are, are you okay, Mandy? Um, and uh, I just said, I'm fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it just, it's so, it's so awkward. And I now, when I hang out with drunk people, I just, I... It's like I never tell them the things that they, you know, did or said, but I want to just be like, record yourself sometime because that's a gift you can give to yourself. I'm not saying you're anything, but just it's uh, it's unsustainable. Yeah, it's it's fairly unsustainable, I would say. But I I also, you know, a thing that I like to say is that, uh, you know, drugs are really fun. Yeah. And that those nights can also be that that I think sometimes when you try to uh, just you know paint it as just yeah. being the the worst, oh, it's no. like you can't if you don't look at yeah just you know so it was great exactly you know you get can't it's like the the recovery thing you can accept the past and not close the door on it. it's like right I you know I don't have I don't I don't really feel like I have too many regrets. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I did some shit, but I don't like it was, I don't know. I've never been that fucking out there. I think the the regrets that I have are when I have acted out of anger and I have um, just been a a nasty, just castrating fucking uh, bitch to people because I, I just... It really makes me sad that knowing like that that I do to myself, like that I put that out on other people because you can't ever really take that, you know, back except by being honest about it. Yeah, but you can definitely fuck some. Yeah, you can hurt people and they can never, you know, forgive you sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, I've reached out to people to make amends and they're like, no, uh uh-uh. You don't get it. You yeah, don't get that. Yeah, and it's like, that's great. I respect that. Have a good life. Oh, that tone? No. <laughs> uh, no. God. Yeah. You just do it again. I just, yeah, that's, it. that's the thing. Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be great if I just was just like, you and by it. the way, you have the worst breath <laughs> yeah. and you fucking are a no talent. Yeah, right. No. I just, but, but I mean, I have to like, I have to, take out my anger somewhere you what know what do you do with it um i mean i think just trying to be funny and just like talking to friends and talking talking be. shit being vicious yeah but doesn't writing know? help yeah and 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 actually like the reason when i mentioned before that you know i went from being you know just like uh chubby wife to then being kind of like a hot 
piece of Craigslist ass. Like when I got the reason that I got divorced and the reason that I started the blog also um, besides doing that class, the other thing um, was and I'm sure many people have said this this thing to you, but I started doing the fucking morning pages. Yeah, I started doing those in 2004, and that I I lost 60 pounds. I realized that my marriage was toxic. Yeah, and I started writing for myself again, and um, and I haven't because I've been so busy writing the book and everything. I haven't done them in a while, but I did them recently, and I had such a better day because of it, because, yeah, yeah, I was able to just say exactly my side of the story and why I was completely right, you know, and uh, that that was a funny thing in writing the book was my editor, I I would turn in the occasional section that would just be kind of like, you know, should have been called like... Mandy settles some scores, you know, (laughs) and uh, it was just like really, she was like, yeah, you don't really need this. (laughs) You can just, you can let that go. This is not essential to the story. You're the only one who cares about this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you and the husband are getting along good? Yeah, very much so. Nice talking to you. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Oh, and can I tell people where to get the book? Is that okay? Of course. I'll do it too at the top. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you go to unwifablebook.com it takes you right to the Amazon page unwifablebook.com but now you're a wife I know isn't that ironic no it's I think that's the whole book right exactly wow that was intense and exciting Mandy Stepmiller's book unwifable her memoir is now available wherever you get books I will be home soon Um, I think I got I got one more coming at you from out here on the road. And then after that, I'll be there for a while. And I'm going to be on the road again for a couple more weeks. You know, we'll get to my schedule later. Okay, I have to purge. Boomer lives!